Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verses uh, 14 through 15 as we continue our studies in the life of Christ. And this morning, the message is entitled, Call to Forgive. Called to Forgive. It could be entitled, The Command to Forgive. Now, you've probably heard at one time or another the uh, old saying that... uh, Being in love means never having to say you're sorry. Where we get that, I don't know, because it's not in the Bible. But man's man's good at making up all kinds of cute little sayings and silly sayings and even senseless sayings. But uh, we're going to see what the Bible has to say about forgiveness. When Jesus gave the model prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, and that's what we studied the last time we were together... It included a prayer dealing with forgiveness. The interesting thing is, like I said, in that model prayer, part of that prayer said that we are to pray for forgiveness of our sins and to pray for those who have sinned against us. But why at the end of that model prayer would Jesus now add these additional words regarding prayer or regarding forgiveness? But I I believe it's because it's such an important subject that we need to understand. Jesus, again, had prayed earlier, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But then again, added this clarification about the prayer of forgiveness. Interestingly, this is the only part of the prayer that Jesus added to, that he commented on. And it was probably because the duty of forgiving others required in, in, uh, is one of the most painful things to our flesh. It is hard to forgive somebody. And it's because of our fallen nature. We don't want to forgive. We want to get even. We want them to hurt like we've been hurt. But again, Jesus wants to make it clear that that's not the way we're to respond it was probably, again, because of that, that duty of forgiving other people. So let's begin with verses 14 and 15, the text for this morning. Jesus continues on in chapter 6, and he says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So the call to forgive is kind of an additional call. But even so, it's a very strong call to forgive. In the Gospel of Mark, the word forgive is in the imperative mood, which makes it a divine command. So it's not only a call to forgive. Jesus commands us to forgive because we are his children, because we call ourselves Christians, because we've been born again and we're new creatures in Christ. So just exactly what does forgiveness means, mean? By, well, Thayer's Greek lexicon says this. It means to send away. It means to let go. That's what's involved in forgiving. The word basically means to send away, to let go. And the way it's used regarding forgiveness, the word translated forgive that Jesus uses here means a, a dismissal of a punishment or a debt. It reminded me right away of Psalm 103, 12, 
where the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he, has he, God, removed our transgressions from us. The word removed in the psalm means to cast or to let go. The same word that Jesus, the same thing that Jesus said here in the Sermon on the Mount. The picture in Psalm 103, verses 8 through 12, is a picture of a courtroom where God is both the judge and the prosecuting attorney. He has all the evidence he needs to condemn us, to convict us. But he doesn't drag out the trial. And when the judge is your father in heaven, and when Jesus has died for your sins, there is complete and free forgiveness available to anyone who will ask for it. If God gave us the punishment that we deserved, we wouldn't have any hope. We would be without hope. The punishment that we deserve was given to Jesus. Jesus paid for our sins. Forgiveness means that you no longer hold against someone a wrong that they've done to you. It means you have dismissed the charge against them. The guilty party is no longer obligated to you because of a wrong that they've done to you. Now, this reminded me of 1 Corinthians 13, 5, where Paul was speaking about love because he says, love thinks no evil. Love thinks no evil. Now, the word thinks in the Greek means, or it's it's a bookkeeping term. It means to take an inventory. So what Paul is saying is that love does not take an inventory. An inventory of what? Of the things wrong done to me by somebody else. To take, it means to take an inventory, like when making an entry into a ledger. Like, you know, many of us have bank books. Maybe you don't use bank books anymore, the little bank register. And each time you write a check, you write the check number, you write how much, you wrote who it was written to and on what day. And if you want to go back to a week, a month or whatever, you can go back there and find out, okay, I wrote this check to so-and-so for so much. And, and you've got a running record of all those checks that you wrote. And that's exactly what Paul said. Love doesn't do that. Love does not keep a running record of all the things that somebody has done to me. Love doesn't take an inventory of the things done wrong to them. What's the reason that you make an entry? It's for a permanent record that you can go back to and you can look at it for whatever reason and whenever needed. And in many business practices, it's necessary. Banking and accounting. But in personal matters, it not only is unnecessary, but it's harmful. Keeping a running record of wrongs people have done to you is a sure way to unhappiness, whether it's our own or those that we're keeping a record of. Love does not keep a record of how many times you have been hurt by somebody else. Listen, once sin is placed under the blood of Jesus Christ, there is no more record of it. When we come to Christ, he doesn't, there's no, no more record of my sin. Acts 3.19 says this, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. And when the books are open on that last day, when the books of the redeemed are open, there's not going to be all of the sins that you committed. They're not going to be recorded in the books of the redeemed. That's going to say righteous. It's going to say righteous. 
because we are counted righteous in Jesus Christ. And 1 John 1, 7 says, because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Not some sins, all sin. God's love forgives. Someone once suggested that love does not forgive and forget, but rather remembers and still forgives. Resentment keeps real, accurate records of the wrong done to someone. Unforgiveness is a great record keeper and it continually brings up the wrongs using it as an excuse to get even. I've heard it many times before. He says, you know what? I'm going to do what you did to me just to show you what it's like. I want you to feel the hurt you did to me. That's what unforgiveness is all about. Wanting to get even, wanting the other person to hurt like you hurt. But unforgiveness is not a reason. It's not an excuse to get even. You see, if God doesn't remember your sin and my sin anymore, why should I remember yours and you remember mine? Hebrews 8, 12 says, God says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds, and I will remember them no more. If anybody had a reason to be unforgiving, it was Joseph, if you're familiar with the story in Genesis. Remember Joseph as a young boy. He was hated by his brothers. He was treated terribly by his brothers. They hated him. They even wanted to murder him. And if it hadn't been for his older brother, Reuben, they would have murdered him. But Reuben stopped them, and he came up with a different plan. Instead, they made it look like a wild animal killed him. And they sold him to slave traders. And as a result, young Joseph was separated from his family for many years. He was falsely accused of rape. And as a result, he spent several years in prison. Now, psychologists would say that a young boy like this with this kind of a a background would would be a nutcase. He'd probably be a a, a criminal and and have all kinds of, you know, a, a, a criminal record and just he'd be ruined for life. But we don't see that in the scripture. We don't see that in in the Bible. Listen to what Joseph named his first son. He named his first son Manasseh. The name Manasseh means made to forget. Made to forget. What Joseph meant by that name was that God had made up for all the misery of his youth, youth and for the loss of his father's home. God is more powerful than anybody's past, no matter how bad it may have been. Jim Cimbala, who wrote the book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, said this. God is more powerful than anybody's past, no matter how wretched. He can make us forget, not by erasing the memory, but by taking the sting and paralyzing effect out of it. You know, it's a lot like that movie Men in Black where the guy flashed that little thing and nobody remembered anything. No. He doesn't make us forget. And he doesn't erase it from her, but he takes the sting out of the hurt. He takes the paralyzing effect out of the hurt. Warren Wiersbe said this, the past must be more than a memory. It must be a ministry. That is that I learn from it. It teaches me something. 
He said, today will soon be yesterday. He said, are you using today to grow in the Lord so that you will be prepared for tomorrow? Is life an investment or just enjoyment? He said, there's nothing wrong with our learning from the past, provided it doesn't turn the present into a museum and the future into a cemetery. We can make the past a museum. What do you do in a museum? You go in there and you look at everything. Things from the power. And you, you, you look at the hearse done to you and you turn it into a museum and you go, oh, I remember when that happened. I remember when you did that and you did that. and Oh, and that there. I remember when you did that. And you know what that does? It turns your future into a cemetery, like you said. It ruins what God wants to do to you in the future, today and tomorrow and next year, because you're holding on to that junk that happened in the past. You won't let go. How can God bless you tomorrow when you hold on to that stuff from the past? Warren Wiersbe said, is the past encouraging you or is it embalming you? If you concentrate on the past, you are going to rob yourself of a glorious future. He said, you don't heal yesterday by not enjoying today. The best way to destroy today is to regret yesterday and worry about tomorrow. Howard Hendricks says, you learn from the past, but you don't live in it. That's why there's so many unhappy people because they're living in the past, they're unforgiving, they're holding on to stuff that, that you know, <clears throat> when, you un- when, you're, you're, when you don't forgive somebody and you hold on to that hatred or that bitterness or that hurt, it's like you taking poison and hoping the other person dies. You're the one, that person, that, they could care less. You're the one who's holding on to it and it's killing you. Forgiveness involves a change of relationship between the wronged person and the person who did the wrong. That will involve restoration of a broken relationship and the benefits of a relationship. It's like a marriage. When you hurt your spouse, it's hard to go on in that relationship and and enjoy the benefits of that relationship until that relationship is stored. Restored until you've, you've come and you've asked for forgiveness and then your partner forgives you, <clears throat> now we can move on. Forgiveness is not a probation. Well, I want to give you 90 days to see if you really mean it. <laughs> forgiveness is a total dismissal of the charge. We are to forgive just like Jesus has forgiven us. And you know what? When Jesus forgives us, he doesn't hold any sins against us, not one. You know, I've been walking with the Lord for 46 years, and he's never once said, well, Joe, I remember when you did this. Yeah, I remember when you sinned against me. He wipes our record clean. We're justified. It's just if I'd never sinned. And we're brought back into the fellowship and the benefits with the Lord Jesus Christ that sin had broken. You see, sin separates us from God because he's holy. Jesus said here, forgive men their trespasses. Here we specifically look at what forgiveness does. It does something. Forgiveness is an action. It forgives trespasses. The duty to forgive, even though it's a command, does have some guidelines. And there are two guidelines that we have to follow uh, to know when and how we are to do the work of forgiveness. 
First of all, trespasses means trespasses which are personally against you. You see, we can't forgive wrongs that we've done to somebody else. They have to come. To, uh, uh, we can't forgive wrongs that we've done to others. They have to come ask us for forgiveness. Those that have, again, done wrong to us. We can only forgive those wrongs that we've done to other people. Secondly, man's forgiveness has to be exactly the same as God's forgiveness. If certain conditions are fulfilled, remember, our forgiveness has to be the same as God's forgiveness. If certain conditions are fulfilled, and those conditions are repentance and confession. Now, this is something that people don't often pay attention to when it comes to the subject of forgiveness. We've often heard people uh, who, who mean well, they'll say, oh, just forgive somebody who's done the wrong. Just forgive them. There's a problem with that. Those people ignore the necessary requirement of the one who has done the evil, which is that the evildoer must first repent and confess their evil. Instead of exhorting us to forgive, they need to exhort the wrong person to repent. Jesus was talking about forgiveness at a later date when he specifically mentioned that, that requirement of repentance when he said in Luke 17, 3, if another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then, if there is repentance, forgive them. Notice the condition of forgiveness. If they repent, if there's obvious signs that repentance is true and it's been given, then we are to forgive. And if that person repents, then it is necessary, it is necessary before forgiveness is given. Now, I can hear you all say, oh, well, I don't have to forgive that person until, you know, part of that is true. Which now says, are we required to forgive offenders completely and unconditionally, whether they express sorrow or not? No. Now, don't run away with that. <laughs> Just what I wanted to hear. No. A holy, a holy God doesn't require us to condone evil doing and tolerate sin. The Lord's teaching here is very clear. We have no obligation to forgive when there's no repentance on the one who's hurt us. In fact, forgiveness apart from repentance is not good for the one who needs forgiveness. Think of it. None of us got saved before we repented and asked God for forgiveness of our sins. Think about that. If people could be saved without repentance, heaven would be filled with proud, unrepentant sinners. So, until the person repents, but again, even though they haven't repented, it doesn't mean we can be hated, hate, hateful towards them. Until the person repents, we have to have a spirit that is ready and willing to forgive when that repentance does occur. It's like Jesus Christ. He, he, he's, he, he's, he wants, the Bible says that he's not willing, God is not willing that any man should perish. He wants everyone to be saved. And he's just, 
He's just waiting to say, you're forgiven. And this message is part of that. Please, he says, I, I want to forgive you. I'm just waiting for you to say, I'm sorry, Lord, I repent of my sins. And then the door of forgiveness is wide open. But until we come to that place where we say, Lord, I am sorry for my sins, there can't be any forgiveness. Though he is there just pleading and waiting. Oh, you know, I just, so bad. I want to forgive you. But even though that repentance hasn't come, a spirit of hatred and malice is not allowed in us. Just because the offending person hasn't repented. Even though we're not obligated to forgive when there is no repentance from the one who's hurt us, we are still to have that spirit within us of forgiveness that is ready and ready to forgive the moment that offender asks. Not forgiving someone until they repent doesn't mean we carry hatred in our heart. It doesn't mean we carry ill feelings in our heart against that person until he or she repents. It's just the opposite. The forgiving person will always be ready to forgive as soon as repentance is obvious. Then forgiveness will will quickly follow. We're called to forgive. We're commanded to forgive. We're not called to get even. We're not called to hate or to hurt. But we all know how hard it is to forgive. It is so hard to do. And one of the reasons is because of our fallen, sinful nature. It's what the natural man wants to do. Hold a grudge, get even, make the other person hurt. Hey, a lot of the things that that we are called to do as Christians are hard. To love the unlovable, to forgive those who have hurt us. And the duty for, to forgive is one of the hardest things for us to do. When somebody has done us wrong, what do we want to do? It comes natural. I don't have to think twice. I want to get even. And when somebody hurts me, man, my flesh gets all twisted and all turned out of shape. And I just want to mess with them. I just want to hurt them. And even though the wrongdoer has repented, even though they come and say, hey, I am sorry, and they ask for forgiveness, my flesh still doesn't want to forgive them. Why? Because I've been wronged. I've been hurt. And I'm still hurting. And for me to forgive them leaves, lets them off the hook. <laughs> I forgive you. Oh, now they're all happy and cheerful, and they're rejoicing, and they're about their way, and I'm still hurting. I'm still... It's not fair, Lord. Understand, it's not about fairness. It's about the will of God. The word of God, being a Christian. And the difficulty of this duty of forgiving emphasizes the fact that it's not easy to live a holy life. And there are those who would picture the Christian life. Oh, that's a, it's an easy way of life. It's easy. You know, only it's for weaklings which shows they are very ignorant of the character of the Christian duties. We see the proof. We see the evidence of how hard it is to to forgive in the divorce courts. People have so much trouble forgiving their spouse that they will go to all the trouble and all the heartache and all the expense of busting up a marriage. 
And some people can be so hypocritical about this subject of forgiveness. For example, when a pastor or a church won't allow, allow a divorced person to hold some office in the church, that person will accuse the pastor and the church of not being forgiving. And yet there are standards in the Bible. There are qualifications for certain positions in the church where you cannot be a servant. And one is, is, is if a man has been married to more than one woman, he can't serve as a pastor. And yet this person will say, oh, you're unloving and you're, you're, the church is, is, is wrong. But there's a couple of things wrong with that accusation. First of all, the divorced person is the one who has a forgiveness problem, not the pastor in the church. Because you see, if the divorced person was forgiving, there would no doubt have been a divorce. Secondly, the divorced person has not repented. They just go on justifying their divorce and their unforgiving spirit that caused the divorce. Jesus proved that clearly. When the religious leaders asked Jesus, why did Moses give the command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Jesus said, Moses permitted. Notice, notice how we can change God's word to meet what we wanted to say. The religious leaders say, why did Moses command? Jesus said, no, he didn't command, he permitted he allowed a divorce because of the, 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 the hurt and the unfairness, the meanness that was, that was done to the woman. No, Moses said, no, no. Moses permitted divorce only as a compromise, as a concession, because of your hard hearts. So what Jesus was saying, that it takes a change of heart for two people to make a new start. And only Jesus can change hearts. It's funny how people know, know where to go to get married to the church, but what happens when they have troubles, they go to the divorce courts. So before you run away from your marriage, run to Jesus. Divorce is simply nothing more than an act of unforgiveness. Let's look at verses 14 and 15 again. For if you forgive men their trespasses... Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. This is the positive part of the text. Verse 15. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Here's the negative part of the text. The positive consequences are you forgive others, God forgives you. The negative, you don't forgive them, He's not going to forgive you. The consequences are basically mutual when it comes to God and you. In other words, what you do to others, God is going to do to you. It's the matter of sowing and reaping. You will reap what you sow. Listen to how the scripture supports this. The scriptures speak of the reaping and the sowing by God. In a number of passages, beginning with 1 Samuel 2.30, it says, Therefore the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Psalm 18, 25 through 26. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The inference says, those who aren't merciful won't obtain mercy. Luke 6, 38, Jesus said this, 
Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measures that you use, it will be measured back to you. James said in chapter 2, verse 13, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Now, there are some people who think that they can behave in an evil way, and yet God will act kindly toward them. But it's not true. It doesn't work that way. Reciprocation is only fair and reasonable. Now, let's look at the reward for forgiveness. Jesus said, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Verse 14. And this is a great reward. It's what we need the most. We need the forgiveness of our sins. And our sins can only be forgiven by God. No other way. And without the forgiveness of our sins, we are on our way to hell full speed ahead. So the forgiveness of our sins is a tremendous reward. Now, the man of the world, they won't even think about this gift. They're not interested in this gift. They're not interested in the forgiveness of sins. They're only interested in the things that this world can give them. The man of the world is interested in the things that are in this life that the world can give them. Money, fame, success, power, materialism. The world doesn't value the greatest rewards very much. But that still doesn't change the fact that this reward of forgiveness is a very great reward. And it will last forever and it will profit you all through eternity. No human reward can do that. Now in verse 15, the negative. What happens if you don't forgive? Listen carefully. What happens if you don't forgive? What did Jesus say? Neither will the Father forgive your trespasses. Don't we need to be forgiven of our sins in order to get into heaven? This is a fair and sure and terrifying promise that Jesus gave here. First of all, it's fair. Why? Because it shows the attitude of the unforgiving person, the person with the hard heart. If we don't have a forgiving spirit, we will find out that God won't have a very forgiving spirit toward us either. So we can't expect God to forgive us if we're not going to forgive others. And if this is our destiny, how can we complain? We can't because, you see, we've made our own choice not to forgive, so I have to live with it. Second, it's a sure thing. The promise that Jesus gave here that that neither will your sins be forgiven, the promise was given here as clear as possible. The promise is given in no uncertain terms. It is a solid and powerful and unbending promise, so it's not a vague or hard thing to understand. It's not a, a promise that's hard to understand. You see, God doesn't give us vague promises when serious judgment is involved. But says very clearly, states the case very in very clear language. I mean, what is there to understand? Hard to understand about neither will the Father forgive you. Pretty simple to understand. The words neither will says that God will not forgive you. You can't make these words any stronger or any clearer or mean anything else. Third, it is a terrifying promise. 
It's terrifying because to have God against you to the point that he won't forgive you, that is to come under the condemnation of heaven. That truly is terrifying. Because an unforgiving spirit has some serious harmful consequences that no man or woman in in their right mind should want to experience. See, when the spirit of revenge, the spirit of unforgiveness gets that death grip, that stranglehold on your heart, and you want the person who's hurt you to pay, for, pay every last pound of flesh, and you don't allow any room in your heart for repentance on the part of the one who hurt you, watch out. You are in a really, really dangerous place because you are going to experience some really rough times from God. Jesus gave a parable showing the danger of a person who is holding on to an unforgiving spirit. It's a parable about a man who was forgiven a huge debt, but he wouldn't forgive a man of a much smaller debt. The parable is Matthew 18, 23 through 35. And Jesus gave this parable in answer to Peter's question about how many times should somebody, should I forgive somebody? Five times, six times, seven times? Jesus said 70 times 7. Now, 490 wasn't the magic answer. It would just mean it meant limitless. There is no cutoff point. So again, it's a parable about a man who was forgiven a huge debt, but then wouldn't forgive a man of a much smaller debt. Jesus gave this parable to encourage our forgiveness of those who have sinned against us. The debtor. The debtor owned a large sum of money. He owed 10,000 talents. To his master. It was a huge amount. This huge amount is a type of the great greatness of sin in God's eyes. You see, we, you, we owe a huge debt of sin to God. One that we can't repay. This debtor here couldn't pay that 10,000 talents. He couldn't pay the debt. So he was sentenced to have all of his possessions sold, even his family. The judgment reflects the judgment on the sinner because of his sin. The sentence was severe. All his possessions were going to be sold, even his family. All the, the sentence was here, but it was fair. So what, the servant, knowing he can't pay that 10,000 talent debt, what does he do? He falls down on his face and he worships the Lord. And he says, Lord, please have patience on, with me. Please, I'll pay everything that I owe. And then the Lord of the servant, watching him, pleading with God, said, you know what? I'm going to let you go. That servant, the the, the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion when he saw him pleading with God to be forgiven. And so the, 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 the Lord said, you know what? I'm going to free you from this debt. You can go. You don't have to pay the debt. The forgiveness of that Lord represents the forgiveness of God for you and I, for our sins. It was done with compassion, just like God was moved with compassion to save sinners. But notice that the forgiveness didn't take place until the guilty man acknowledged his debt and he was pleading for mercy. Which says repentance took place before forgiveness was given. But then, this man, who had owed 10,000 talents and couldn't pay for it, 
who was compassionately forgiven of his debt, found one of his own servants who owed him a a hundred pence. He grabbed him by the throat and he said, you're going to pay me everything that you owe me. His servant begged for mercy like he had done when he owed the 10,000 talents. This guy's servant begs for mercy like he had done earlier, but he didn't show this man any gratitude. He didn't show him any compassion or grace because his heart was so hard that he wouldn't forgive his servant that he threw him in prison. This shows us that an attitude of unforgiveness will destroy your prayer life. And it's a very hypocritical attitude. So every believer who has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb should be a very forgiving person. If not, they're a hypocrite. So this hard-hearted unforgiveness was found out by the one who had given him such great compassion and grace. The man who who was owed a 10,000 talents saw what he had done to his his servant who owed him a hundred. What does he do? He, 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 he goes back to this man. You see, here, here's the deal. He was so hard-hearted, again, that, that he couldn't forgive. So his hard-hearted forgiveness was found out by, by the one who had given him such grace. He recalled that servant. In other words, he says, you know what? Now you're going to, because you wouldn't forgive this guy for 100 pence, you are not going to pay me the 10,000 you owed me. He called that servant back. He severely rebuked him and he had him delivered to the torturers until he should pay all that was, was due to him. This shows us that God will not answer the prayer of the unforgiving person even more. Won't forgive him. Because here's the deal. Prayer includes glorifying God's name and for God's kingdom to come quickly and helping to accomplish, accomplish God's uh, kingdom on earth. The person praying can't have sin in his heart. Remember in the model prayer, what was the prayer? Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. And it started out, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, holy is your name. Again, the the, the prayer began with worship and, and glory to God and praying for God's will to be done. Well, a person praying that prayer can't have sin in his heart. The psalmist said in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now think about it. If God answered the prayers of a believer who had an unforgiving spirit, God would be dishonoring his own name. How could God work through such a person to get his will done on the earth? If God answered his prayers, the the prayers of a person who has sinned, he would be encouraging sin. Every believer must pray to show the forgiving spirit of Joseph, Stephen, and of course the perfect example, our Lord Jesus Christ, who said on the cross, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. And we need to pray that prayer as often, we need to be like these these examples as often as needed. To be forgiven by the perfectly holy God and then not to forgive when we ourselves which are sinful man, that is a prime example of the abuse of God's mercy. James said in chapter 2, verse 13, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others, but if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. 
In closing, I want to finalize this with these words. Richard Trent, out of his book, The Parables of Jesus Christ, said this. The question which seems involved in all of this is, do sins, once forgiven, return to the sinner through later offenses? In other words, when they sin later on. One cannot conceive of remission of sins apart from a living communion with Christ. Being baptized into Him, we are baptized into the forgiveness of sins. And the abiding in Christ and the forgiveness of sins forever go hand in hand. And they are inseparable one from the other. In other words, when we have a living communion with Christ, and, we're, when, and when we're baptized in Him, we are baptized into the forgiveness of sins, and He says those things are inseparable one from another. He said, but if we stop abiding in Christ, now the word abide means to stay or to remain in a given place or thing. So it means to com- continue in a, in, in, in a certain place, in a relationship, or in a certain thing. It means continuing with Christ. He says, but if we cease to abide in Christ, if we stop continuing in a relationship with Christ, he says, then we fall back into a state of nature. We go back into the old man, which is of itself a state of condemnation and death. And it's a state upon which, therefore, the wrath of God is resting. That's heavy. We are to abide in Christ till the day we die. And when we stop abiding in Christ, we go back to the natural man. And, in, and, the, and we commit those sins. And here's the thing. And Ezekiel, Ezekiel substantiates this. Ezekiel thirty-three thirteen. 13, he said, God says, when I tell righteous people that they will live, but they sin, expecting their past righteousness to save them, He says, none of their righteous acts will be remembered. I will destroy them for their sins. God's in Ezekiel. You know, when I tell a righteous person, they're going to live. That means forever, for eternal life. He says, but they sin. And they're expecting all the past good that they did, all the past righteous, righteousness that they've had and they live. He says, and they're expecting those past righteousnesses to save them. He says, none of them will, will be remembered. None of those righteous acts of the past will be remembered. And I will destroy them for their sins. When Jesus said, If you don't forgive the sins of others, neither will your Father forgive you of your sins. And we cannot get into heaven without being forgiven of our sins. Now, this is, you know, this is is not a a lightweight statement. and, And we need to understand how important forgiveness is, especially in light of how Jesus has forgiven us. And I believe that's why God put the extra emphasis here in forgiveness so that we would understand that. Look, I have forgiven you a debt that you could not pay. Just like that man who owed 10,000 talents, he couldn't pay it. 
His Lord had compassion and says, you're free of that debt. Just like Jesus knew, Joe, you can't pay the debt for your sins. I'll pay it for you on the cross. You see, a holy God has to separate himself from anything which is not in harmony with his character. And he said more than once in the Bible, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you are not forgiving people of their sins, you're not acting like God. You're not being like God. You're not holy like God. There will be nothing in heaven that is not holy, that does not have sin forgiven. We need to forgive those who have sinned against us. Father, we thank you so much for this, this awesome word, Lord. Powerful, clear, and very, very sure. Lord, help us to understand that forgiveness is not just some thing that we decide to do when we want to. But then, Father, when we're asked to forgive somebody of their sins and they've repented, it is our call, it is your command to us to do so. And so, Father, to help us to understand. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, understand, you will not go to heaven apart from confession and repentance of your sins. And Jesus is, is so anxiously waiting, so excitedly waiting to forgive you. but you have, to, you have to confess. You have to repent. And you need the power of Christ before you can move on to forgiving others because our flesh is so strong and our flesh will hold on to the very last breath. But only Jesus Christ can set us free from all the hurts and the wounds and things that have happened to us in this life. Only Christ can help us to move forward. The worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship. And if you recognize you need God's forgiveness because you have sinned against him. And he's not willing that any should perish. He doesn't enjoy seeing anybody go to hell. It grieves him because he made a way that you didn't have to go to hell. And that way was Jesus Christ's death on the cross but you must confess and repent of your sins before you can be forgiven. As the worship team leads us in this song, if you want to receive Christ and the forgiveness of sins, you get up out of your seat during the song, you make your way down this, towards the steps up front, and I'll meet you there, and when the song is over, we'll say a, a prayer of faith together.